All right, good morning. Let's open with a word of prayer. God, thank you for another Lord's Day. We thank you for the opportunity to gather in your name, in the name of Christ. Uh, he is our head, and we bear his name. And uh, we know that we bear his name uh, because you have chosen us in grace. And so we thank you, God, uh, for your free mercy toward us. Thank you for making us your people. Thank you for inclining our heart uh, toward your word. Thank you for sending your word to us. Uh, the many different ways each of the people in this room uh, were exposed to your word. Thank you for how you sovereignly worked in all of those ways. And thank you for creating faith in us uh, when we heard the word of Christ proclaimed. God, I pray that you would use this hour that we have together in Sunday school to uh, equip us for every good work and uh, to help us further to lay hold of salvation in Christ and walk in, in the fullness of the abundant life that is offered therein. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so today, uh, kind of a continuation of the series that Nathan started in Bibliology for the last couple of weeks. Today we'll uh, build upon that and think more broadly about revelation. Uh, general and special revelation are the two avenues that uh, traditionally have been identified as, as how God reveals himself to us, and we will talk about that for most of our time together. But first, a little introduction uh, just about revelation. By revelation, uh, in this context today, I don't mean the last book of the Bible. I mean God's self-disclosure. The Bible word revelation in a very wooden and literal translation of it would be an uncovering or an unveiling, uh, a pulling back of the curtain, and, and hence the term disclosure in that first definition. Here's another way to think about revelation. Uh, revelation is God giving or sharing knowledge of himself. And you can see in that definition that God is both the source and the object of revelation. Uh, that's why in the, in the first definition we said that revelation is God's self-disclosure. God disclosing himself. It comes from him and it is fundamentally about him. Uh, so, of course, the source of revelation is and could only be God. Here's an amazing truth in Matthew 11, which I printed on your notes there. Jesus tells us that no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. This seems like a closed loop of knowing, doesn't it? No one knows the Father except the Son, and vice versa. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2 teaches us that the Spirit participates in this closed loop of perfect divine self-knowledge. It says, The Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. The same language is in Matthew 11. Who knows God? No one except God. God alone. 
So God knows himself perfectly, and he experiences and enjoys this knowledge of himself as a trinity of persons, not as three people, but as a trinity of persons, a triune being. Only God knows God, and yet God has freely and graciously chosen to disclose or unveil or uncover for us this knowledge. Uh, There is a stunning, stunning to me, and in Matthew 11, right after Jesus teaches, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, he doesn't stop there. Again, that seems like a perfectly complete and closed loop of personal knowing. But then he goes on to say, and, well, who, who is this that's about to break into this loop of the knowledge of God? We are, by God's grace. It says, no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Wow. And likewise, in 1 Corinthians 2, before and after saying that no one knows God except the Spirit of God, Paul says that we too know God and some of the thoughts of God because we have been given the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, after saying no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God, verse 12 says, that we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, purpose, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So I think this is marvelous to think about it this way, uh, that God, in Revelation, invites us into his own perfect, self-contained knowledge of himself, for us to see and savor him just as he sees and savors himself, the Father, the Son, the Son, the Father. And of course, the Spirit participates in this also. So our knowledge of God, of course, isn't perfect like God's is. Um, God is incomprehensible, but because of the gift of revelation, he's nevertheless knowable, truly Um, Our knowledge of God is imperfect and incomplete, but it is actual. So we do not have a complete share in the knowledge of God that he has in himself, but we do have a real share in it. Fred Sanders says, uh, kind of in a pithy way, the knowledge of God is insider knowledge given by the insiders. And God, the Godhead invites us uh, to part, in Revelation to participate in the joy of knowing God. Something like what God experiences within himself. Uh, so I wanted to start that way. Um, hopefully, among other things, for you to realize what a profound privilege it is. More profound than we know for us to have God reveal himself to us. Uh, Next, revelation and God's grace. Uh, God's grace is seen in his giving revelation and in our receiving that revelation. Uh, Matthew 11 is one place we can see this, a text that we've already looked at. Right before, Jesus says, no one knows 
the Son except the Father, nor the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Jesus says to the Father in prayer as a man, He prays, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things, the truths about the kingdom of God. You've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will, your gracious will. So revelation is part of God's gracious will toward uh, the humble toward those who would be called, from one angle, the little children, those who have a childlike faith, a genuine faith in God. Um, this same truth that, that emphasizes that revelation is a divine gift is emphasized later in, in Matthew. Do you remember in chapter 16 where Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And uh, people say, uh, the disciples say, well, some say you're uh, John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah. And Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter gets it right. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus after that says, yes, Peter, uh, blessed are you, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Revelation is not the result of man's effort or searching or thinking. It is a marvelously gracious gift of God. And it is a gift that mankind is desperately in need of. So if God had not graciously chosen to reveal himself to us, we would have no recourse for obtaining knowledge of him and his purposes and what he desires and expects of us. And I'll add quickly as indicated on your outline here, that God's grace is not only driving his giving revelation to us, but his grace also enables his people to receive that gift. So for you to uh, receive revelation from God, for God to give that gift to you, and for you not to say no thanks, for you to receive that gift from God and, and accept and and. Uh, believe as wonder that it's wonderful that gift of of the knowledge of God. God works in your heart by His grace, and it, we'll see a little bit um, talking about general revelation in Romans one that people, because of a prior commitment, uh, a fundamental commitment to unrighteousness and to not living for God and His glory, um, they uh, in a, in a um, presuppositional way, reject the knowledge of God that he freely offers and freely gives. And so for any of us to actually receive the gift of the knowledge of God in Revelation is because God has given you grace uh, and, and has overcome in your heart the sinful uh, blocks that you would put up to receiving that revelation. So, so Revelation is grace upon grace. And finally, the avenues of revelation, what we'll spend most of our time talking about this morning. Um, you can broadly divide all of the avenues of revelation into two categories, special and general revelation. God speaks to us about himself through nature, that's general revelation, 
and in the scriptures. That's special revelation. These are the means by which God graciously speaks to humanity about himself. It's easy to think of the Bible in that way, right? That the Bible is God speaking to us about himself frequently when later authors of Scripture quote a previous part of Scripture. They'll start it with, uh, the Spirit says, or the Lord says. But, but even the ways that the Bible talks about God's testimony in nature uses speaking words, uh, verbal categories, so, so God's self-communication, even in all of the things that have been made, uh, you could think of as God speaking about himself. Uh, the world, after all, was created by God speaking. God said, and it was. God said, and it was. Even now, though, in the preservation of the world, um, the, the world is being upheld, all of the created things, by the word of God. Hebrews 1 says about Christ that he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So presently, right now, God continues to speak about himself through the Son, by the Spirit, through the words written in the Bible, and in a different sense, speaking through everything that he has made. So another uh, potentially helpful way to think about that same truth, also written on your handout, is that God displays his glory in the world and in the word. Now to talk about revelation, to talk about God disclosing himself, is close to the same thing as talking about God displaying his glory. God's self-disclosure, God's revelation, is God setting his glory on display. So seen from this angle, then we can say that revelation is at the heart of God's purposes for creating the world and the plan that he is working out in history. Right? If, if I were to ask you, what is the great purpose of God in creating the world and in directing the affairs of the world as he has and as he will? you should say, it's for his glory. This is God's great purpose. Well, if the glory of God is um, the beauty of who he is, the display of his perfections, and then also glory can refer to um, the praise and, that is given back to God when we behold that display of his perfections, then it's easy to see that to say God created the world for his own glory, you could also say then that God created the world for revelation. God created a stage on which to disclose himself, to reveal himself, primarily for his own good pleasure in, in seeing his glory um, reflected in uh, a million different ways, but also inviting us into the joy of beholding that display of his glory. Um, so you and I were created to, to see the ways that God is displaying his glory. Or we could say we were created to hear the ways that God speaks about himself in Scripture, in the world, in the way that he's directing the world. And to enjoy it, to praise him for it. 
Um, again, part of sharing God's own joy that he's experienced forever in beholding his own glory. So that's just a broad introduction to Revelation, generally speaking. Uh, we turn now to develop these two broad categories of Revelation, general Revelation and special Revelation. And uh, I already heard the collective page turn from you guys, so I know most of you are already on page two, which is good. First, general revelation. But before we do that, though, maybe I'll ask, does anyone have any questions or comments? Okay. General revelation. Um, One good definition. There are plenty out there. I, I chose one, the ACBC doctrinal standards. General revelation is God's disclosure of himself to the entirety of humanity in the things that have been made. So this revelation is general in both its scope and its content. And uh, by scope, I mean that it's that who receives it, the audience that, uh, that this revelation is given to. It's general in that it's given to everyone. Uh, you see that in the definition there that I provided. God's disclosure of himself to the entirety of humanity. You can't get more general in scope. And also, it's general in its content, uh, it, especially over and against what God reveals in special revelation. Uh, the truths about God that he reveals through creation to everyone is general. Uh, the main texts that build this doctrine of general revelation are Psalm 19 and Romans 1. So open your Bibles to Psalm 19, please. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 6, and then we'll make some comments on them, especially uh, the ways that these verses teach us how to think about this general revelation of God. Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and, like a strong man, runs its course with joy." Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. There is nothing hidden from its heat. So did you note all of the revelation words, especially in verses 1 through 4? It said, the heavens declare, the sky proclaims, day to day pours out speech, night to night reveals There's a revelation word. Verse 3, speech, words, voice. Verse 4, their voice, their words. So there there is speaking going on. There is revealing. There is communication that is being described. 
And what is doing the communicating here? The heavens, the sun, the sky, the things that God has made. So the created order um, and everything in it is revealing, is declaring, is speaking to humanity about something. And so David, who wrote this psalm under the inspiration of the Spirit, says it's like the heavens and the sky and the sun have a voice. And they are uh, talking to us about something. It's like we can hear speech and words coming from them. And what is the creation saying? It is saying, behold the glory of God. Verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. So that second point on your outline, what specifically is being revealed? General revelation is about God. Uh, Those standards of doctrine that I read earlier from the ACBC add, the subject matter of general revelation, what's it about, is the character of God and not mere facts about the created order. So in general revelation, God is speaking through the things that he has made, but what is he speaking about through those things? In general revelation, God is not speaking to mankind through everything in creation, about things in creation. In general revelation, God speaks to mankind through everything in creation, about himself. And and that can be an important distinction, uh, because um, sometimes people will say, well, if you take a biology textbook, let's say, and if you... uh, reject any, anything in there, if you question any of the current consensus of, of contemporary sciences, you're rejecting general revelation. Well, no, not necessarily, because general revelation is not God revealing facts about the creation. General revelation is God revealing himself through the things that have been made. Um, so, In general revelation, God doesn't reveal to us how the water cycle works, right? But in general revelation, God reveals through the rains his own power and goodness, etc. So that's the content of general revelation. Uh, See again how Psalm 19, we've talked about this generally before, but, but see how it's developed in Psalm 19, the scope of general revelation. Um, verse 4, their voice, the voice of uh, all, all that has been made, goes out through all the earth, and their words, to the end of the world. Look at verse 6, it's rising from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, the other end. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. So from one end of the heavens to the other, and everything in between, you cannot escape this testimony of general revelation. And again, that's captured so dramatically at the end of verse 6. Nothing is hidden from the heat of the sun. So God reveals himself through creation to every single individual on the globe. And this revelation is being communicated 
all the time, verse 2 said, day to day, night to night. So the revelation of God through creation truly is general, right? Actually, it's perfectly general. This psalm says it comes to everyone all the time in every place through everything that God has made. That's how general, general revelation is. It comes to everyone all the time in every place through everything that God has made. So Calvin says, wherever you cast your eyes, there is no spot in the universe wherein you cannot discern at least some sparks of his glory. You could not anywhere and at any time avoid the testimony of who God is, even if you tried. Uh, This is why we'll see, which Paul will develop in Romans 1, where we're going next, that, that no one will have an excuse when they stand before God in judgment and God calls them to give an account for their life and, and sentences them guilty for the way that they've lived with respect to his law, no one will be able to say, God, I didn't know. You didn't tell me about who you were. You didn't tell me about what I owed to you in light of who you are. Yes, he did. God has revealed himself generally through everything to everyone. And so just as, again, I love this metaphor, just as nothing is hidden from the sun's heat, so too no one is hidden from the heaven's declaration of the glory of God. Uh, Turn to Romans 1 now, please. And as the group is turning, does anyone have any questions or comments? All right. <clears throat> Romans 1 develops the same point. I'm going to start in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So notice there the strength and the clarity of general revelation. Um, when, When people... Uh, see the creation, and they don't say, wow, this, behold the glory of God. It's not because uh, the revelation that God is giving through creation is deficient in any way. It's not because it's a bad or unclear revelation. What do these verses say? Verse 19 said, what can be known is plain to them. God has shown it. 
In verse 20, it says that God, these attributes of God have been clearly perceived. It's clear. It's clear. Verse 21, this is strong. Uh, the testimony of God in general revelation is clear enough that in some sense, it says, although they knew God, God has revealed enough about himself in creation that if man wouldn't suppress it in unrighteousness, there would be some sense in which they could say they know God. So this is a clear revelation generally. But as verse 18 said, men suppress this truth in unrighteousness. Not some men, all men. Um, chapter 3 will say, no one seeks for God. What specifically about God is known through general revelation? Uh, Romans 1, Psalm 19 just said what's known is the glory of God. Romans 1 develops that a little more. And what is known about God to all, in all places, at all times, generally is three things. The broad outline of who God is. And in light of that, the broad outline of God's moral law. And in light of that, the broad outline of man's sinfulness. We can see this working through parts of Romans 1. Uh, first of all, that all the things that have been made show the broad outline of who God is. Uh, verse 20 said, God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, are clearly perceived in the things that have been made. Um, also in verse 23... It says that people exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So, so the glory of the immortal God was on display, and they had access to that knowledge of his glory such that they could exchange it for something else in unrighteousness. Also, in light of that, in light of the display of God's glory, then it is evident, it is revealed to people what God is owed. If God reveals his glory, it is plain to everyone that he is to be glorified. He is to be acknowledged. He is to be worshipped. He is to be thanked. Um, and, and Romans 1 develops that. So in verse 21, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. So, so all people are implicated for not honoring God, not giving thanks to God. What's implied there is that it is evident. God made it clear to them through creation that he is to be honored and he is to be thanked. Similarly, in verse um, 25, it says, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So again, the testimony of God in general revelation, man knows that God is to be, to use these words, worshipped and served. And in verse 28, it says, they did not see fit to acknowledge God. 
So if we use just these words in Romans 1, um, God has revealed through general revelation that He should be honored, thanked, acknowledged, worshipped, and served. And everyone knows this, but they suppress it in unrighteousness. So God's given enough for men to know they owe God these things, and so He justly holds man accountable for not doing so. Man knows that offering these things to God is right, and so they also know that not doing it is wrong. So then in light of number two, that, that man knows the broad outline of God's moral law, they also know uh, the broad outline of their own sinfulness, that they don't do, they don't offer to God what he is owed. Um, the end of this chapter especially develops this truth. Look at verse 29. They, all, all people, were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. That's a pretty comprehensive statement, isn't it? They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Verse 32, listen to this. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So Paul pushes it even further. Not only do all men know who God is, and in light of that, uh, the broad outline of, of what God expects of us, His law, and therefore we know that, that all mankind is sinful. They know these things are wrong. They, they practice them, and they give approval for others. This verse says, they also know that those who do such things deserve to die. Not only does man know his own sinfulness, he knows that he deserves divine punishment for failing to give to God what he owes. And this is what God's Word says everyone is able to know through general revelation. And in fact, everyone does know, although they might have pushed it out of mind. Knowledge of God's righteous law also happens through another gift of His to man uh, that's given generally to all. It's a gift called conscience. Turn, turn to the right, Romans 2. So God reveals Himself generally um, outside of man in everything that is made, and God also reveals Himself generally and specifically uh, bears testimony to his own moral law inside of man in giving everyone a conscience. Look at 2.14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. So they don't have the Bible. They, uh, they don't have access to special revelation, this, this group that Paul is talking about here. Verse 15, but they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. 
on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So conscience is a faculty God has given to all men generally, which also bears witness to his moral law, which he's revealed generally. Uh, So again, summary, um, the broad outline of who God is in light of that, God's moral law in light of that man's sinfulness and guilt. Uh, You could also sum it up in this way to say, general revelation reveals the glory of God, and therefore that man should glorify him, and also that man has fallen short of his glory. Okay? Reveals the glory of God, that we should glorify him, and that we've fallen short of his glory. And so what does general revelation accomplish in sinful man? Well, because man rejects this in sin, um, it says, <clears throat> excuse me, there without excuse. So because on the basis of God freely disclosing himself through all the things that have been made, every man in every place through every time period is guilty before God and is justly accountable to him because everyone has directly defied God because everyone has direct access to this broad, general knowledge of him in creation. So general revelation accomplishes um, condemnation. General revelation establishes all mankind as rightfully guilty. So general revelation, because of man's sin, because of man's sin, general revelation is uh, condemnatory in function. And that's why Paul introduced this discussion of general revelation like he did in verse 18. Look at that. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. According to Paul, there's the one word summary of uh, what general revelation accomplishes. There's the one word summary of the efficacy of general revelation. Wrath. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Creation reveals God's glory, generally, but functionally, because man rejects that, creation functionally is a revelation of his wrath, which the conscience bears witness to as well. Any questions, comments? Yes. Yes. To to who is the last one? John. The end. Yes, the last book of the Bible. Yes, we're getting there. That's special revelation. So anything that's not general revelation communicated by God to everyone at all times is more specific than that, so it's special revelation. And there are a few different ways God has revealed himself in in a special way, and we're we're getting there, and we have to get there quickly. Um, There are other related passages, and also some have have, uh, identified other avenues of general revelation beyond creation and conscience. 
uh, but we don't have time to talk about those. It's clear in the Bible that the prominent uh, avenue of general revelation is, is creation and secondarily the conscience, which cooperates with that revelation of God's glory. Okay, next, special revelation. Well, God has done more than just reveal his glory uh, through the heavens and the things that have been made. God has also disclosed himself in a special way um, through special revelation. And what that means for us today, the avenue of special revelation that we have access to especially, is how God discloses himself to his people in the pages of Scripture. Now, it's called special revelation. It's more specific in both content and audience. Uh, So it's more specific in that if we said general revelation displays the broad outline of um, God's glory, God's law, man's sinfulness, Special revelation fills in the details, okay? Uh, it, it is not just the broad outline. We, we see in special revelation the glory of God and, and the specifics of God's law and man's sinful, sinfulness in HD. Um, and, and so also through special revelation, uh, we know everything we need to know to live the life God wants us to live. And special revelation is also more specific with respect to audience. Not every person at every time in every place has access to special revelation. Along those lines, I I hope that it is a treasure for you to consider how gracious God has been to you to direct special revelation to your hands and to your ears. And even on top of that, that he's convinced you of its truthfulness and glory. Uh, We'll move through special revelation much more quickly, mostly because we're running out of time, but also because you've already heard uh, two lectures from Nathan on the inspiration and authority of the Bible, which, of course, is the avenue of special revelation, as I said, that's available to us today. And furthermore, it's the only avenue of special revelation that we're commanded to pursue. Okay. Uh, but God has revealed himself not just in the pages of Scripture in history past, and we'll do again in history future when Christ comes back. Um, Hebrews 1, which we'll look at, starts out by saying, God spoke to our fathers in various times and in various ways. Uh, so God revealed himself in a special way through personal encounters Theophanies, just an appearing of God or a manifestation of God's presence that was visible in visions and in direct speech even. God spoke directly to Abraham, depart from your land. Uh, The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. God also revealed himself in a special way through the mighty acts of redemptive history. Uh, like the miracles of Jesus. Jesus said those reveal his glory. They testify to his deity. Uh, the acts of God in salvation and judgment uh, at the Exodus, when God saved his people out of Egypt, Pharaoh was told that those judgments of the plagues were coming on him in order to show or to reveal that God was the Lord, that he was the one uh, who had all authority and power. 
Um, the miracles of salvation, of course, the, we think of the cross uh, that displayed God's righteousness, that displayed God's love. Jesus' resurrection was similarly a revelation of, of who God is, of who the Son is, and what the Son had accomplished. God has also revealed Himself in a special way through spoken words, um, through prophets and apostles. They would speak, uh, just like I'm speaking, except the difference being the words that I'm speaking are not the very words of God right now. Sorry if that disappoints some of you. But God has used um, men and women like that in the past uh, to, to communicate Himself through verbal utterances of other men. Uh, Jesus delivered his words, uh, sometimes through the spoken words of his apostles. Also, uh, God has spoken to us in the person of Christ. Uh, God revealed himself in a special way by coming in person when the Son came. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. John 1, 14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Verse 18, No one has ever seen God, but the only begotten God, who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known, has revealed Him. So it's, it's really important for you to understand that the person and work of Christ is the climax of God's special revelation. Uh, Jesus, the coming of, of Christ, is not just the climax of redemption. It's also the climax of revelation. In all of these avenues of, of personal revelation that we've talked about before, all of those avenues, excuse me, of special revelation, they all find their climax in ultimate fulfillment in the coming of Christ. Um, so the coming of Christ is the climactic personal encounter of man with God. Uh, the coming of Christ is the climax of God's mighty acts of redemption. The coming of Christ is the climax of um, his, his, his ministry of speaking to humanity, which, which he, through giving the Holy Spirit to his apostles, also spoke um, his words to humanity, uh, to explain this climactic redemption and revelation of God. And of course, these, these words uh, from the prophets in the past, and especially of Jesus' apostles, to record in, in an authoritative way for us, many of them were written down. So that brings us to our last avenue of special revelation on your outline, the written words of the Bible. All Scripture is breathed out by God. 2 Timothy 3. And again, because Christ is the climax of special revelation, God's people today have access to that uh, more specific revelation of who God is, of, of what God expects of us, desires of us, and also of man's sinfulness there. Um, there are many places that we could kind of establish that thought, but Hebrews, the very beginning, is a good place to do it. Go to Hebrews 1. Hebrews 
Hebrews 1, 1, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, so yes, we are living in the last days and have been for 2,000 years. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. So because Christ is the climactic uh, revelation of God, um, uh, we, the, the testimony to Christ that we have through his apostles in the Word is, is our access uh, and the fullest revelation that God has given at this time of, of who he is. Uh, maybe I should add, and, and I hinted at this earlier, that the Scriptures also do teach us to anticipate and look forward to the time when God will reveal himself, uh, actually through all of these previous means of special revelation, once again when Christ returns, right? Uh, we are waiting for a dramatic personal encounter with God when Christ comes that, back. Will that not be a, a very powerful um, act of special revelation that we will experience personally? Yes, it will. Uh, that will also be another uh, powerful revelation of God through another mighty act of redemption and judgment. That will also be time for a powerful, direct, spoken word from God when the dead are raised, when all are called to judgment, when all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, when he slays um, the man of lawlessness and the enemy by a word from his mouth. And of course, that will be another a special revelation of God through another coming of the person of Christ. So, so then it's no accident that the last book of the Bible is called Revelation, which talks about Christ's coming again. So, so to circle back to your question specifically about um, how do we think about this, the revelation of, of John the Apostle in the last book of the Bible, that was um, a personal encounter that John had with God. Uh, he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and uh, Jesus uh, revealed himself to John and told him, write these things down. And so that personal revelation to John and the authoritative words he wanted him to write down were part of um, the, the purposes of God to climactically reveal himself in a special way through Christ. So Christ has come, and part of that coming and revelation of Christ's coming was, was Jesus um, having, having uh, words about him and even from him, in the case of this vision that the Apostle John had, written down for subsequent generations of the church. So did that answer your question? Isaiah also, I would say, that was, that was a personal encounter with God. God revealed himself directly, personally. Mm-hmm. Any questions, comments, concerns? We'll say also, Helen, that God also revealed himself in a special way then through Isaiah, both through spoken words and also through um, written words to be preserved for us. Yeah. Okay. Uh, finally, the relationship between general and special Revelation. It's interesting that those two texts, which 
build for us a doctrine of general revelation, both also speak directly about special revelation. And they do so right beside where they talk about God's general revelation. So turn back to Psalm 19. So verses 1 through 6 um, was talking about general revelation, the heavens declaration of God's glory. But then in verse 7, David starts to celebrate God's revealing himself through special revelation and, and especially the pages of Scripture. Verse 7 begins like this, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. So over and against the testimony of creation, special revelation through the word of God is able to revive the soul and make wise the simple and rejoice the heart and enlighten the eyes and warn God's servants and lead them toward God's reward. And general revelation, as wonderful as it is, uh, does none of this. And so hence, the, the words of God, His law, His rules, His commandments, His precepts, His testimonies, they are to be desired even more than the most glorious parts of creation. Uh, in, in, that's why it says in verse 10, these are more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, God's words are sweeter also than honey, the drippings of the honeycomb. So even things in, in the created order that testify to, surely to God's power and goodness, like gold and sweet honey, God's words are infinitely more valuable because of what God uses, uh, how God uses that revelation to accomplish in us salvation and leading us to reward and warning us away from spiritual danger. Uh, Romans 1 also directly contrasts general and special revelation. Before, in chapter 1 of Romans, before Paul starts to talk about the, the testimony of everything that has been made in general revelation, Paul is talking about the gospel, the good news of God's Son and what He has accomplished. So, verse 15, Paul says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And listen to this, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
For in it, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. There's revelation. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So in the gospel, it is revealed how, through faith in Christ, one is given God's righteousness. One can be declared righteous by God through simple faith in Christ because of what he's done in his death and resurrection. But did you notice how in both, verse 17 and verse 18, Paul's talking about the revelation of God. 17, the saving righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. And then in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, and so on and so forth. So, so there again, right next to each other, Paul contrasts special revelation and general revelation and what they ac- accomplish in man. The gospel, which is, which is the main message of God's special revelation, uh, is the power of God for salvation. Whereas general revelation um, ends up being a manifestation of God's wrath because of how man rejects it. So, so the good news is that through special revelation, through the preaching of the gospel of Christ, God uses that as a means by which he creates faith in someone's heart and they're able to respond, not with rejection, but with willing embrace of the revelation of God's glory. And, and they're then seeing how God has made them righteous before him and, and is not counting their sin against them, of not glorifying him, they are made willing and, and enabled by the power of the Spirit um, to want to live for him, to glorify him, and to truly enjoy, as they were made to be in the beginning, the display of God's glory. Okay. Any questions in closing or comments? Okay, let's pray. God, thank you for both the gift of general revelation and special revelation it's wonderful to um, see your glory in the world and especially to see your glory in the Word. And so, God, I pray for this um, upcoming time where we go to behold your glory in your Word uh, as we gather as a church to worship and we hear your Word preached from Pastor Dan. God, I pray that you would um, disclose yourself to us. God, show us um, more of who you are. Show us more of uh, how we can live in a way that would honor you and show us, God, our, our sin and grant us repentance and faith in the gospel and work in us what's, what's pleasing in your sight. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.